Hey guys, welcome to episode 68 of my podcast, Bono Stuff. Hello, and I am excited. This is a live one. Uh, these are rare because uh, A, COVID, but B, we we haven't uh, been able to get guests that are just right here with us. So uh, lucky to get Dr. Antonio of Live Loud Life uh, here locally. We connected, actually we talk about it a little bit on the episode, um, over a webinar we were both on. I commented, hey, I'm in Superior. He said, hey, I'm right next to you. So we uh, linked up and we have a lot in common. I'm excited to chat with, uh, with him here. I'm excited to hear you guys' uh, feedback, comments, whatever you take away from this. So hopefully you get a lot out of this. We're recording this in uh, November 2021. Holidays are coming up, so depending on when you check it out, I hope you uh, you have an awesome holiday and uh, enjoy the show, as Billy Joel says. Ha <laughs> ha, good timing. Enjoy. Oh, it's going live. Hey, we're live here. Uh, yeah, it would kill it. <laughs> hey, guys. I am here in my garage in Superior, Colorado. We get to do a live in-person one. Dr. Antonio Gurul. Is that what you say your name? Gurule. Gurule. Where, where, where's that from? Uh, so it's uh, it's it's actually Hispanic, okay. uh, but originally French. Okay. Yeah, that was gonna uh, brulee. Yeah. So right. a lot of people from like Canada and up north, they'll catch mm. it. Um, and every now and then, someone uh, will catch French originally, but uh, Hispanic. Nice, nice. Um, and yeah, so we connected here. We were actually on uh, my last guest. My very last episode was Ryan DeBell, Dr. Ryan DeBell, the Movement Fix, and we were in one of his webinars. And he's like, hey, say where you're from. And I'm like, I'm in Superior. And he's like, hey, I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? So yeah, so we're here in person. We connected. Uh, we share a lot of things in common, it seems. Um, and for those of you check, t- tuning in, I did shave my face. So uh, that's a big announcement there. Uh, the, beard's been, the beard's been there. It's very cold with, with no facial hair. Um, anyway, that'll change in a few days. So we connected. He has his practice here with his wife. And your wife is also a chiropractor. And she focuses on... Uh, pre and postnatal care, yeah. Pre postnatal and pediatric. Nice, nice. Any other? Do you want to shout any anything else out for her? Uh, that's that's kind of the big thing. So she, uh, my wife uh, Michelle, she's also a chiropractor. She she takes care of all moms and babies, and then I'm kind of rest of the family. So more sports, orthopedics, so on and so forth. But she's strictly moms and babies. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, good team. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Cover the whole spectrum. It's kind of what me and my wife do. She's actually upstairs right now. Uh, with, she's doing her sex and relationship therapy practice, and uh, so she's she's kind of covering the, the that side of things, <laughs> the connection side, and then and then we're on this side of it, the physical side. Um, so, live loud chiropractic and coaching. What is the coaching part? So, coaching part from uh, we we both have a personal training background, so mm-hmm. we do in some capacity offer that as kind of a service, but it's trying to expand upon what others would kind of see as chiropractic mm-hmm. and it's kind of like an exclusivity standpoint showing that what we do is try to provide information and services that go beyond just what you would assume chiropractic adjustments is so whether that would be nutrition guidelines or mm-hmm. coaching if you will right. um, movement coaching some personal training so on and so forth and nice. then obviously with my wife um, if you would call it like birth preparation coaching, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously one of her big specialties is postpartum rehab. So, mm-hmm. you know, postpartum rehab coaching. So when you just say chiropractic in that standpoint, you know, people kind of limit to what that could right. be. So coaching kind of pop opens that up. Yeah, I've been, I've been struggling with the same thing with the physio side. Yeah. People hear physio, they think hot packs, electrical stimulation, mm-hmm. maybe a little manual therapy, massage, what have you. And I'm like, I, I, I do a little more than that. So I've been struggling in the same, and yeah, I kind of use uh, long-term health coach. That's my yeah. that's my kind of thing, and connecting all those dots, the five pillars of health. I think we talked a little bit about that in our last meeting around, uh, I, talk, I do the movement, mindset, connection, uh, recovery, and then the nutrition side as well. So, so yeah, we have a lot of similarities there. Um, I want to hear about the kettlebell stuff. I just commented on your Instagram there. I saw your last post about the Turkish get-ups. What, what's the challenge for November? Oh yeah, so I've been doing. Who wants to join? But I didn't see what the actual challenge was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just realized I didn't put too much in. So uh, <laughs> it's it's simple and sinister. For those uh, who have followed Kevlos for a little bit, you've probably heard simple and sinister. Um, uh, uh, Pavel Satsulin was strong first. Uh, obviously, that's kind of a preliminary baseline program, and it's your your quick and dirty and get things done. So it's five Turkish get-ups uh, on each side. 
and then it's a hundred single arm kettlebell swings. Uh, ideally, hundred percent or 50-50? Uh, 50 okay. Yeah. So um, ideally, it's done within ten minutes. So you'd be basically going uh, the way I do it I'll, is I'll go uh, Turkish get up, Turkish get up, just alternating. That takes about five minutes, and then depending on my heart rate is, I'll get that down, and then I'll go right into swings. And I'll vary how I do it, but I usually get it done in about nine minutes or so. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and what, what weight are you using for that? Yeah, so currently I'm trying to do everything with 32 kilograms. Yeah, the swings catch up to you a little bit, and then just kind of on the day on the day. So the, the other day I was just cash, and I just did it with the 16 nice. kilogram. But uh, the 32 uh, is kind of a nice, comfortable weight for me. Awesome, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going well. It's kind of a restart program for me. I also decided to do that um, as a uh, an actual surgical uh, pre-op program. I'm actually scheduled to get surgery on my meniscus okay. in a couple of weeks. I, I have a bucket handle there. Right, right. You mentioned and that, yeah. Oddly enough, it was from uh, it was from pistol squats. Okay. Uh, and that was it was it was not in a workout. This was actually a warm up where I was in the hole and I just came up really hard mm-hmm. to see if uh, see what I could do and felt a big old pop. Mm-hmm. But this is actually something that feels actually pretty good on the knee and yeah. it's giving me enough kind of uh, components of strength going into that. Yeah, I'll share for, for those watching, listening. Um, I think that, yeah, anytime there's knee issues, really putting a lot of stress on that posterior chain and getting more of that pull that we tend to be very quad dominant, a lot of knee issues tend to be that anterior, the front pull, quads. And so doing a lot of the, what he's, he's describing, especially with the kettlebell swings, it's just waking up the hamstrings, the glutes. Sorry, I did a little noise. Got a neighbor driving by here. <laughs> Live TV, folks. Um, so, yeah, and any of that kind of posterior chain, if we want to call it that, uh, seems to really help a lot of the knee stuff because you're just taking a lot of stress and balancing that out. So that's awesome that, that you're kind of a living example of that right now. Yeah, and it was, it was really interesting. So when it when it happened, I, you know, I basically got up and I called my wife. I was like, hey, I messed something up. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you feel a pop in the chair, yeah. that's, you know, kind of indicative of something that happened. And uh, I was... Uh, warming up for a for a workout I was doing, which at that time I was doing a double clean and press program that mm-hmm. had basically clean and press pull ups and then swings. Mm-hmm. So I actually did my workout and I was all posterior dominant. And after that workout, literally thirty minutes after I did this, I felt like nothing was wrong. Right, it felt completely fine. And then I kneeled down to play with my kiddo on the mm-hmm. mat, and it didn't lock up, but it basically went back to ground mm-hmm. zero. So uh, for the next four to five weeks following that, I aggressively rehabbed it, obviously mm-hmm. dealing with pain management and fluid, right. but everything was posterior chain dominant. So I actually did a ton of kettlebell swings. Mm. And then other than that, I did a lot of supported knee flexions where I was actually intentionally driving anterior stress, stress forward, yeah. but severely unloaded so that it was used more as a pumping mechanism to, for more of like fluid management. Mm-hmm. And then everything else was posterior dominant. So, I was hesitant to actually go into surgery because it actually was doing so good. Right. And the only reason why I got an MRI was to confirm that it was a meniscus so that I can say, this is how I rehabbed a meniscus tear. Right. But based on where it's at, it made the decision of pulling the gun. Yeah. And I want to, again, point out out of that story, uh, the traditional injury mechanism methodology has been rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation, maybe more for like ankle sprains, but still if somebody has an injury, that tends to be what gets prescribed uh, versus this kind of natural method. And, and what, uh, again, I'll give Kelly Starrett a lot of credit here, uh, movement compression elevation. So instead of R-I-C-E, we have M-C-E movement, which he described a lot, compression, which is kind of doing mechanically uh, yeah. with, that, with that movement component where you're trying to flush out the fluid and that's that fluid management. And then elevation, uh, again, I don't know if there was enough uh, fluid in there that you felt the need to even elevate but yeah uh, i i didn't do a lot of elevation to be honest uh more so just because any stagnation even yeah. though at an elevated standpoint just right. made it tighter right, right. um so even if i was I, oh i will take that back if i was elevated i'd basically be leaning back kicking and pumping mm. so i was trying to combine the yeah. compression and elevation but yeah. uh movement felt better more than anything. Awesome. And that's really, and as you and I both know, that's really a, a direction that we take for a lot of the rehab. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other part of elevation I want to point out real quick that I've seen a lot of folks kind of mess up on is if they have a standing desk where they have a desk, and they're like, I'm elevating my leg by putting it here. And they're like, it's elevated above where it normally is. But if it's not above the heart, the level yeah. of the heart, there's no actual fluid mechanics. So it has to, my, it's my 
elbow that has swelling in it, I would need to elevate above my heart so that it, it and you can see my heart shirt here, but it, it would pump down. Uh, so that concept of elevation, again, for anyone going through a surgery, so when he's done with his meniscus, uh, meniscectomy, uh, right, that's what they're doing, they're just cleaning it up a yep, little bit. That's yeah, so uh, again, uh, we try to avoid surgery as much as possible, but yeah, there's times when it's, it's definitely necessary. But afterwards, if there's a little bit of swelling, again, and I had my ACL done uh, back in 2008, so I would almost lay down and have my leg completely 90 degrees up against the wall so that it's, it's just allowing maximum gravity to, to get all that swelling out of there in combination with a lot of this other stuff. So, yes. <laughs> and I think what's also important too, what we see with sometimes injuries is putting, when you're in an elevated standpoint with so much of the, the guarding that happens mm -hmm. after an injury, um, you know, in that example where most people would prop their foot up, their foot would be the only thing supported. So mm -hmm. your knee is slowly going into extension. Right. And for those that have guarding tension or pain, that can then sometimes create an adverse reaction of making you tighter mm -hmm. because it's it's more or less unsupported, if you will. Right, right. Yeah. So coming back to it, kettlebells, we, we touched on that. You want it to go a little deeper. It, I mean, I'll just shout out the fact that, you know, I'm going to steal your, your simple answer here is they're just super time efficient, right? Uh, and again, you know, you have 10 minutes, boom, simple and effective, or is that? Simple, sinister. Simple and sinister. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try that later today and I'll, I'll report how that goes. Um, I don't know if I'll jump into the 32 actually, even though I feel like I, I can, but, uh, might start at the 24 there, but, uh, simple and sinister. So kettlebells, all things I noticed also on some of your social media posts, you have folks for, for back pain, which is one thing I think everybody should understand out there. I do this as well. You have low back pain, learn to deadlift with a kettlebell. It's a phenomenal tool. So I'll let, I'll let you go into like why kettlebells, why is that such a focus for you? Is it just time efficiency or is it kind of more to it than that? I, I think I think it's a combination and that's obviously a big com component. So I first was introduced to kettlebells by a buddy of mine in, in grad school and this was like 2008 and this was kind of like CrossFit's kicking off mm. and all that type of stuff. And this was back when there was only a couple of manufacturers that even made yeah. Yeah. And fortunately, in San Jose, there was one that was five minutes down the road. <laughs> this was back when a you know a, a twenty kilo cost like a hundred. Right, bucks. right. And it's kind of getting back to that now. I, yeah, <laughs> COVID, so, but, supply yeah. and demand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so we just started with the basics of swings, and I've never achieved you know that kind of workout, if you want to call mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. that, where you know you got the sweat, but you feel like you were working really hard, right. and it's kind of fell in love from there. But as a parent and a business owner, time efficiency mm -hmm. is definitely one of the big things. Yeah. And for a lot of the population that we treat, which we don't see, I would say, more weekend warrior mm -hmm. athletes, if you will, we don't see a lot of like high-end athletes. Right. It's a lot of families, so it's a lot of dads, it's a lot of moms, right. and when you're dealing with garage space, is and you're dealing with, uh, you know, um, kid toys everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, be having a tool that's super effective and efficient that you doesn't take up a lot of space mm -hmm. is also uh, uh, very beneficial. But also the nature of the shape of the kettlebell, mm -hmm. which is unique to dumbbells and everything else. Right. Uh, you know, if you um, if you read a little bit more, like on the Strong First website and everything, mm -hmm. adding different torque, being able to load yourself in just asymmetrical types of way, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think is just super beneficial. Now, there's obviously nuances that don't allow you to load it up as well, which creates some rate limiting factors. But in my mind, that's actually a benefit, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, when I'm rehabbing someone back from, let's say, a, a disc injury or lower back pain, they want to get back on the barbell right away. Right. And so I try to encourage them, I'm like, hey, what's, what, let's see what the heaviest double front rack, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. five by five set you can get to. Right. And that's just a whole different stimulus yeah. to them that, Maybe that it's just that they're not used to, mm -hmm. but but just having that weight in front of you, creating that more upright posture, so yeah. on and so forth, and just the amount of core activation, quote unquote core activation, stability, <laughs> trunk stability that it generates without you having to, you know, really forcefully do that. Yeah, uh, I find to be super beneficial. So from a rehab standpoint, that's why I use it a lot. Um, so easy access, you don't have to have a barbell, mm -hmm. it's a lot better buy-in, someone's just like, oh, I just need to go buy one piece right. of equipment and I can get this far, mm -hmm. and that's super beneficial. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that, the learning curve, I think, is so much faster, um, and, and it, it's it, all the things you just said of the, the benefits of this tool, uh, however, you, you look at F45s and all these kind of fitness trends, and I, I think they kind of uh, 
butcher a lot of kettlebell swings and you see some really really bad form and you know not to throw people under the bus and talk negatively but at the same time i want to throw people under the bus and talk negatively. so you know i'm from new york that's what we do um so but, but you have to also consider too right look what crossfit did to barbells early on yeah 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 but that's the learning curve and again yeah. uh i still think that at the end of the day you could argue you know crossfit ultimately yeah it was pretty shitty form and if you watch some of those videos it's scary stuff even today you can still, and you know, I've seen some gold medal Olympic athletes break down, oh, the, the top CrossFit athletes lifting under these extreme uh, loads and, you know, breaking down their form and saying, oh, well, they could have done this and this and this. Yeah, we can, we can, we can nitpick some of that stuff. But at the end of the day, yeah, I think, I think, I still think CrossFit as, as, a, as a whole, uh, and I'm not saying everyone should go and jump and do a CrossFit class right now, but as a whole has done more for the concept of fitness to promote it just based on, again, going through some of those learning curves. Yeah. But yeah, again, you, you just see, I'll, and I'll just, I'll stand up and I'm going to show this. When you see these like straight arm kettlebell swings where you clearly the arms are not working and there's no connection between, you, you know, you're kind of just doing work. If anyone out there does that, if anyone sees that, if you see your loved ones doing that, just yell at them, tell them to put it down. And it just, it, it breaks my heart to see it because, because when you do it right, and again, it's so simple. You just need somebody that one-on-one -on -one time, a little bit of that one-on-one -on -one time, and it goes so far to be like, oh, okay, like I can actually like snap my hips and, and, and you know, my arms don't need to do a lot. They can just kind of, you know, we say uh, arms are like strings, hands are like hooks, and you're just holding on to the bell, and the legs are doing all the work. So it's, that's where, again, when, when I was referring to his knee pain um, and, and the fact that it's a posterior chain, right, it's not an arm workout. If you feel your arms working a ton with kettlebell swings, uh, eventually maybe that'll hit it when you hit 100 reps. Uh, of, of, of single arm swings but anyway uh, i can certainly go down that path for a while but go ahead well well i think what's interesting too what just jumped to mind is i had a um a crossfit athlete she is a master's athlete so she's games caliber uh -huh. and, and is her name julie yeah huh. uh, uh, but uh so we were working from a certain <laughs> julie if you're watching we were working from a certain component on she had a previous knee injury and surgery yep and she was lacking uh, power and knee extension is what how she described it, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously with certain lifts, and when you're talking about heavy lifts where it's slow and it's it's slower, not as dynamic and forceful, mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing. But one thing we jumped on, in my opinion, that was super beneficial was heavy kettlebell swings, right? Because hip drive, hip extension is going to be one of your best knee extensions. Yes, Stuart McGill references, right? So yeah. there's there's workarounds where people don't even know that you're working on certain things just by just saying, hey, power and explosion, if done right. But then also, you know, helping people when they're saying, hey, I'm lacking this, and then just like, well, you're doing it in this, you know, we see a lot of with crossfit, right. right? Momentum is something they try to harness. Yeah. But momentum, while that can be a benefit, that can also be a detriment to you because if you can actually kill momentum, that means you're working more, which means mm -hmm. you're doing things maybe more appropriately or better. For sure, for sure. Yeah, with a lot of CrossFit athletes, when you, you try to challenge them to do certain things strict, to do certain things, certain moves that there are not in that repertoire, and again, understanding like, okay, CrossFit generally is on a high level, especially where we're talking about this CrossFit Games concept. It's kind of like 17, and what's her name? Jillian Michaels kind of butchered this concept but but when she was criticizing crossfit but it, it is kind of 17 basic things that you're doing and, and movement patterns and there were definitely you know we could say five to ten other things that's like maybe we should mix some of that in there and that'll make your body a little bit healthier um so so that's where again when you slow things down when you challenge things when you really understand the sport uh, and the needs and the demands of that sport that's where we can really elevate things so along those lines i think that segues us nicely into kind of the next thing you want to talk about fixing squat stance and other modifications for leveraging and pain modification uh so so where do you want to go with that and yeah yeah so uh kettlebells i think within that right mm -hmm. are a great tool for just for example right if someone's having um shoulder impingement syndrome mm -hmm. doing strict strict press with the barbell or maybe not even strict it could be push press or anything else being that you're fixated both hands are fixed. Mm -hmm. You don't have as much of that ability to right. actually rotate. Now you can generate torque, which is good, but if you're going overhead and you have a pinch, an easy movement modification that allows you to continue with your working out and programming that might just be a workaround so you desensitize the tissue mm -hmm. is a kettlebell. Right. Because you have that ability, dumbbell, whatever mm -hmm. that is. So I think it's a useful tool in that sense as well as it allows you to get out of a lot of these ways or these things that might be causing temporary issues. Um, um, that 
great painter or whatever else. So <laughs> that being said, too, um, your last uh, guest, Ryan, right? So Ryan Stewart, Ryan DeBell, Hill, yep. yep, Ryan DeBell, Movement Fix. Uh, he really opened up my eyes, and I think a lot of people with his uh, the article that broke you in a minute. But why everyone squats differently, and from what you've seen as a practitioner, just time over time, is that when we box people in, saying that you need to squat feet feet width or hip width apart, feet or hip width apart, and toes straight, right. that is putting everyone into a box, right? Now, for the general, that might work well for most people, but if you're trying to optimize squat, if you're trying to leverage um, body mechanics and the lever arms of the legs, you need to find the optimal stance. And so we do basically a hip scour or hip screening. Mm -hmm on everyone who's doing some form of squatting lift right and then just trying to provide some additional guidance and when we do this we encourage what might seem like a more open stance with a little bit of foot flare uh but then but then we do it based on feel mm -hmm. right so when i say hey just because i said this looks better from a visual standpoint from my uh from my coach's eye i need i need it to feel good for you i need you to feel strong and the basically the rules or requirements that i go off of can you maintain, not a neutral, like, you know, really rigid, strict spine, but mm -hmm. can we maintain a long torso right. and can we maintain our foot positioning? So we're not hyper, we're not over pronating, we're not over supinating, uh, we're not doing the squat dance, which is I call, you see some people like the moment they start to go down, their feet want to go out, so they kind of do this squat dance that so goes back and forth. Like that to me is an indication that a wider stance is going to work better for them. And this carries over dramatically with uh with lower back pain right um adding into you know we're not butt wink nazis here but we <laughs> definitely monitor that especially with someone that is hypersensitive right right um and i'll add to that so to, to hopefully if, if, if you guys I, I think we're going down a very nerdy rabbit hole so anyone who's, who's not in you know has multiple degrees like like we do uh, might be missing some of these concepts that they haven't studied and stuff so the, i want to simplify to say if we did mri of your hip. So he's, he's talking about we were doing a physical assessment of what's going on, the ball and socket in there. But uh, I've definitely seen, and I don't know if this is something you've noticed with doctors out here, as I'm, I'm newer to the area, but in New York City, we would see MRIs of hips and it would say the right hip is at, you know, 12 degrees uh, in, in, a, in a resting position and then the left is at eight degrees. So you see a little bit. So, so that would possibly indicate that it's normal for that person to have a squat stance that's a little bit you know, 12 and 8 degrees, maybe it doesn't have to be exactly perfectly like that. But there are those natural imbalances and asymmetries. For me, I know my right hip's a lot tighter than my left hip. I do that as well. I mean, I competed at a decently high level in CrossFit. Um, and when I would snatch, my right leg would jump out and my left leg would kind of be more stuck, so to speak. Or, or But that's the one that was probably stronger. The right one was the one that needed to possibly compensate more. So you would see these imbalances. I'm curious would you, if you would try to fix that for me. Or, yeah. well, so, or would so, we leave that kind of be? I think I think there's multiple factors, right? Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the the level at which you're trying to achieve, right. the weights in which you're trying to do. Uh, so obviously, when you're talking about was it the snatch, right? Yeah. Like if you're throwing my feet are jumping out, and I kind of if I you guys can see it on the video, you know, there's a little bit of this right foot is turned out more. Yeah, and so there, I think there's also things to consider too. Like, does that happen only at ninety percent, ninety-five percent and above? Yeah. Where you know, for a lot of people, when you're seeing ninety-five percent and above, when you're talking about one rep max and so on and so forth, you're going to see a lot of things compensate and change. The goal is to make the lift. Right. Is that going to deter you down over time? Maybe, maybe not. But if everything submaximal to that is then tied in, I think it might be okay. But the other thing that we also look at is looking at retroversion or antroversion mm -hmm. and trying to get a sense, is that actually more of a um, uh, of a bony right, alignment right, right. change or if it is just soft tissue. So yeah. I, had a, I had a patient who played center, played football since the time he was five all the way up through, right. all the way through high school. So mm -hmm. in his most developmental years, he was playing center. And when he was playing center as a lineman, if anyone sees linemen set up, there's often a staggered mm -hmm. stance where one's a little bit more right. flared. So his right hip basically grew a, a, a torsion, right. just like we see with baseball players. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a quarterback in high school, and even though we weren't the best throwing team in the world, I, I, I attribute a lot of that to my, my tight right hip, too. So. Exactly, right? So yeah. you see these things where maybe it's a tighter hip mm -hmm. um, that is, that's, that's musculo that yeah. you could adapt and maybe make some changes with, but that could have been just over the years your body created that. So for him, 
he came to me with a lower back injury that was a, that ended up being a confirmed annular tear. Mm -hmm. And when we were breaking it down into a squatting program, and even though he was a strength and conditioning coach, owned a gym, everything, he felt that it needed to be hip with apart, toe straight, right. right? And that just created so much tension in mm -hmm. his hips that then to get lower to achieve the depth that he was hoping to created excessive amount of lumbar flexion. And then over time, that just what we attributed to deteriorated down. Right. Obviously, there's years of things that uh, accumulate to that. Right. But then in our rehab process, I was just like, hey, this is definitely change. You have a different torsion angle on each hip. I think it's okay for this one to be out a little bit right. more. And right. that helped with the rehab process, obviously getting back to building, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, now that he has healed that, he's able to lift and, and achieve all the squatting that he wants right. to do. Right. And this is where, from my perspective, I'll add my kind of two cents in that clinical assessment. If I had someone like that, I would also be assessing as much as possible the strength imbalances and the single leg step-ups, pistols, um, that kind of split stance squat, any of these kind of things where we could say, hey, your left leg is 20% stronger than your right leg in these different kind of ways we're, we're putting these pieces together. So maybe we should spend some time balancing that out and, and fixing that strength and balance whether and, and while we're possibly doing some different mobility concepts whether it's musculoskeletal or structural um and then and then putting those pieces together so that's kind of how i work and i think it sounds like kind of you know that's within your realm as well so uh you, we touched on low back pain your, your, your back can be with low back pain so that's kind of our third main topic here is low back pain solutions acute versus chronic what where, where do you want to go with that from the from a chiropractic perspective again uh real quick i'll set it up to say again most people uh, you know, and, and I, I've criticized the physical therapy profession uh, in, you know, we, we did a, there was a webinar a few months ago that I did where, you know, we were looking at a study that went out to the public and, and they asked them, who would you go to for low back pain? Who, who, which practitioner? And this is something I'm also exploring on my other podcast, the Man Better podcast with David Carolla. Check that out. Um, and so that study showed number one, I believe, uh, number, well, I don't remember the exact order, but it was, it was your, your primary care doctor. Uh, which I think is a bit, bit of a waste of time. No offense to primary care doctors. Um, <laughs> I think you're going to save a lot of money, time, energy going to either a physio or chiro. But the research showed general public in terms of education, primary care doctor, chiropractors, massage therapists, acupuncturists, and I believe physical therapists were fifth on that list where, again, from, from a survey perspective, I don't remember the exact uh, numbers, but yeah, we do a terrible job as a profession of promoting ourselves to say, hey, you have back pain, see us. I mean, chiropractors have every rap song, you know, it's like, I'm back like a chiropractor, like, it's, it's, it, that, you, you know, it's, it's embedded in the culture, so to speak, so, um, coming back to it, I, I think I wanted to set that up, of like, we see chiropractors as, again, and we were talking a little bit before we went online, of, you have back pain, you come in, crack, crack, come see me three times a week, and this is, you know, the oversimplified, stereotypical kind of thing, um, of, come see me three times a week, and I'm just going to keep cracking you, and every time you have a little bit of pain, come back and see me, and I'm just, I'm going to be the guy who can fix you. Um, where it sounds like you're definitely not practicing that model. You're, you're, you're incorporating these concepts of let's get you stronger as well and let's include that coaching stuff. So, so yeah, I, I, just low back pain solutions, whether you want to touch on the, the professions, I just I, sure. I didn't want to touch on that. Is that hey, Rosin? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> at the tail end of my program at Palmer College of Chiropractic at the West Campus, they were trying to, just like every, every business, continues to refine their message, so on and so forth, right? And as, as a whole, they were trying to get the name chiropractic mm -hmm. more directed towards your spine specialist. Right. Right. And most people know chiropractors. The main things you're adjusting is the spine. And for a lot of people, they don't even know other chiro or chiropractors adjust extremities mm -hmm. and things like that as well. So I think with that sense, you just kind of more so associate chiropractor spine low back pain is fine. You're going to start there. Um, you know, physical therapists, everyone um, knows you guys can rehab a general amount of things really well. Um, so I think that's where a lot of the confusion from the general public comes. But in my opinion, you know, whether you're seeing a good chiro or a good physio, it's going to look almost the exact same. Um, so for that, um, obviously we have certain members on each side of the profession that are you know, very palliative. Mm -hmm. And adjustments are basically passive care as well, right? Active care being what can you do versus what I can do for you, right? So an adjustment, manual therapy, dry needling, hot packs, mm -hmm. e-stem, all those things, while they are extremely beneficial for desensitizing pain and helping in that, in that 
solution, which is advantageous, that's passive care. But I always start with whether it's acute or chronic, what can you do first and foremost to make positive impacts or changes on the pain that you're experiencing, right? So for a chronic patient, you can definitely accelerate that and, and be a little bit more aggressive with the active care, just because you can rule out pretty definitively depending on how long, how chronic it is. But uh, any sort of chronic for those listening is anything really over three months, I think we can agree on that definition. Yes. More or less. So when we're chatting, right, how long has it been going on for, right? So if it's three months, I might be a little bit, you know, more sensitive with it. But if someone's like, I've had back pain for like three years, right. so I'm like, I'm hitting this. Right, right. I think anything above three months technically becomes chronic sure. by, by like research and medical definitions. And, and the other part of that is, Oh, I've had back pain for like the last 10 years, not consistently, but you know, you get episodes where that's not a, it's not 10 years of back pain, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but you get again, that, that, that pain. And then maybe it happens every three years. And this is a common thing, right? People kind of, again, kick the can down the road, maybe deal with it again in that passive treatment. Uh, it fixes that or it feels a little better Then it happens every two years and every one year, then every few months. And now, you know, somebody woke up finally and, and, and it's, it's a 10 out of 10 pain. And, and now, now that's, that's kind of the progression of that. So that's where chronic can have a little bit of that. So I just want to give that a little color. Yeah, no, that's, that's good because you'll get people come in and it's like, Oh, I have, I've had back pain the last few years. Mm -hmm. I come in, my chiro adjusts it and I'm good. Right. I just need you right. to do that. Right. I was like, well, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a solution right. from what it sounds like. So then you dive into it. But so depending on where it kind of stands or what they're coming in for would, would change slightly what I do, but, but whether it's chronic, 10 years, three months, or acute, like this just happened, it's going to be, it's going to revolve first and foremost around hinging and squatting. Mm. It's always going to be hinging right. and squatting. So a very movement-based approach. For sure, yeah. So, and, 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 I'm sorry to no, interrupt there, but I just, I, I want to really throw that at the people listening, watching of, again, uh, you kind of alluded to it, but, but I, I have to say it time and time again, so I just really want to make sure this is clear, and I might cut this exact piece, and I'm doing the hand signals for my own editing later. Um, yeah, so... If you get, so, so, so a chiropractic adjustment, uh, a physical therapy adjustment we do, we call it a little different high velocity, low amplitude thrusts or whatever, but whatever you call it, whether you, again, dry needling, he alluded to some, a lot of these passive modalities, even if you get a massage that feels, feels awesome. Um, the research shows really well, something's happening and you're going to get up off the table and you're like, yeah, I feel good. Yeah. And, and you have less pain. If you're not doing something active, like the kettlebell, like a squat and a hinge, if there's no active and like, okay, you feel better, good, see you, um, you know, see you next time. Uh, by the time you get to your car, you've probably lost 75% of the benefits. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating the numbers and I'm kind of throwing them out of, out of nowhere, but, and this is where research is really hard to do. And there is follow-up in, in the research where it's like a, a, a week later, no other intervention happened. And maybe there's some education, maybe there's not, but, but it, it, there's a, a huge lack of understanding of even with the needles as soon as i take needles out and i've started doing needles since i moved here because i couldn't do them in california and new york different story but uh, as soon as the needles come out and again they're like oh yeah okay i'm gonna make sure you do some active thing even if it's just grab a rubber band and do, and do some pull aparts just so we can reset the nervous system because uh famous quote is strength is gained in the range in which it is trained so again really easy uh visual here for those watching it if my arm can only go here and dr antonio gives me a little pop and now i can go here and sorry for the armpit sweat there. Um, but yeah, now I can go all the way here. By the time again, I get to my car and I leave his office, we might've lost a lot of that benefit. But if as soon as we have that extra, whatever, 20 degrees of motion, I'm gonna, and I think it sounds like he's, he, you're, you know, you can agree with me if you like, but uh, you're in that same mindset of like, we need to get strong here. We need to get your brain to understand that extra 20 degrees. Otherwise it's gonna go back to that, that kind of poor, poor pattern. Yeah, the way, the way I always say it, right, it's just like, hey, we just gave you your body all this new range of motion and this new proprioceptive input. You have to use it. You have to give mm -hmm. your body some sort of context as to what actually just happened and, and train, train it so that it creates a better framework. Right. right. And that's really what it is over and over again. Right. Um, so going back, yeah, to, so to, the, to the squat standpoint and the active care, mm -hmm. my, my thought is like if I can get you, even if it's 5 or 10% improvement, mm -hmm. if you can create 5 or 10% improvement without me touching you, right, right, and with compounding interest mm -hmm. that will get better and hopefully that just stacks upon itself, then you'll be able to get through this a lot quicker because you don't need me to be there every time it hurts a little bit, right? Because right? as we do know with any sort of injury, there will be flare-ups. Right. And a lot of people, when they flare up, they're calling because they're like, hey, I need you to adjust me again because I just flared up. It's like, no, you need to do this. 
and then depending on where it goes, we'll right. help facilitate it. So we're a catalyst, we're a facilitator to the process, we're not the process. So for acute, um, the thing on the craziest thing for acute disc, acute flexion and tolerant low back pain, the thing that I have found to be the most beneficial is squatting. Now, that could be body weight squats, it could be a ring TRX suspension trainer supported squat, mm -hmm. or what I call like doorknobs. You can like right. hook a hand on each doorknob. Um, and this is just through trial and error. I've had a couple people that are so sensitive that I can't even get them on the table right. to, to, start a, to start a dry needling or some sort of palliative intervention. And by offloading, a little bit more, not posturing change dominant, but a little bit of more weight in the heels, mm -hmm. and then being able to still say an upright torso with a wider stance. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't, maybe it's a pumping action, maybe there's right. a little traction, maybe it's just the hips kind of getting more aligned. Mm -hmm. But I've had a ton of people that can then walk more mm -hmm. effectively, mm -hmm. their pain is reduced. And so that's our kind of entry level. And for them, it seems to be beneficial. So if you've been sitting too long, because you do have to go back to work, you, you jump up and you do squats every so long. Yeah. So, Squatting is speaking of, I'm not used to sitting this long. Yeah, it's already we're at 25 minutes. I'm not used to that. Anyway, go ahead. So squatting by far is one of the first things. Also because you know life involves sitting, so it yeah. teaches you a way to uh, to move in a manner that maybe won't pick at it, so on and so forth. And then the other part is hinging. So again, there's there's a range. It could just be a good morning or a body weight hinge mm -hmm. that allows you to bend over to pick things up. If you're a parent and you have kids. Like your kid's gonna want to be picked up. So if you're super sensitive and have flexion tolerance, go back pain, right. how are you gonna do that? Right. So it creates much more of a, uh, a framework and a context around everyday lifestyles because once you leave my office, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour later, you real world hits you and you need to know what to do. And then we keep integrating what we need and leveling up in progressions from there. But the framework always revolves around that. So if someone does a few of these movements, um, and they're seeing benefit, cool. This is what you do when you go home, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, right. and then we'll layer that on. And then depending, um, MDT, McKenzie protocol. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was literally gonna ask you about that. I was, I was waiting yeah. for you to, so you mentioned flexion and tolerance. For anyone not familiar, McKenzie, and, and I'd love to hear from a chiropractic perspective and just your perspective in general, but uh, the way I would describe it is, and, and Quick funny story is when I took the McKenzie course. Have you ever have you taken an actual course? I'm not, so I've taken other courses yeah. that integrated. Yeah, so it, it, it's a pretty straightforward concept. But I'll, the funny ish story is when I took the course, the guy was very, the instructor was very uh, adamant that exercise is useless, course training was useless, and I, and this is early on in my career. I think it was my first year being out in practice. So in school, we learn a lot of the research and. And there's a stack of articles that I probably had like in my backpack just because I was that big of a nerd of, of, you know, core this, core that. And again, we know strengthening some version of the core is good for back pain to some extent. But he was saying, you know, you don't need any of that. It's useless. And, and, and he was very adamant. So we, we almost got into a fight based on that. Um, I was I was up in front of the class and I was like arguing with him half the time. But uh, <laughs> but but uh, and, and I actually got one of my best friends who's a physical therapist with the Sacramento Kings now. Uh, who was running that course, and she's like, who is this guy? I want to meet him. He's, he's an asshole, but, but I want to meet him. But anyway, um, Mackenzie, basically, the basic theory is our discs are jelly donuts, and, and it's been a little bit disproven uh, as far as the actual mechanism, but the basic concept is you have a herniated disc, your jelly is going out, because, again, we're like this all the time, so the jelly's sticking out. Uh, for those listening, sorry, it's, uh, you, you, can, you should be able to get the concept, though. Uh, and basically, if you have that, now you're, uh, you might be flexion intolerant and, and extension feels better. So you're going to do a thousand press-ups or just lean back. So you're pushing the jelly back in. Um, so it goes along the lines, I think, of the squat concept to some extent. Um, and again, I, I, I've kind of, I, I utilize it, but I'd love to hear, um, again, your take on it for sure. Well, and let's consider too, like a scenario where maybe the angular, so with the way it starts is, is the outer component, so jelly donut, the outer component is fibrous connective tissue, very strong, that's why, so your back is not weak, it's very strong, but as that potentially delaminates or breaks down because of repetitive or movement patterns, lifting, whatever that might be. Sorry, I, I want to throw in there before you continue. The, 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 in the medical space, it is well understood that I think it's 72% of people, if we took 100 people on the street right now, 72% of them would have disc herniations or some kind of abnormality, bulge or whatever you want to call it, uh, but no pain. So, so uh, I, I'll, I'll throw it back to you, but again, just making that point that just because you have a bulge and people get caught up with, oh, we did an MRI, you now have an issue. 
uh, and now that becomes your, your mentality versus the fact that most people have a lot of bulges and it shouldn't necessarily always correlate to pain. So that, that hopefully helps the, this, this topic. Yeah, so, so case in point at the beginning of the conversation, like currently right now, I have no knee pain. The only time I have knee pain is in extreme flexion with torque where that right. bucket handle is getting stressed, right? Right, right? I can run, I can lift heavy, I can squat heavy, I have no pain, that's why they wanna do it. But there are certain times in which I feel this instability and that's more of just from a mental standpoint. But so for, for lower back pain, right? And, and you could have uh, you could you could have an annular tear, which means no bulge, right? And that could be very symptomatic. So where I also find the Kenzie to be beneficial is not from a, uh, a herniation reduction standpoint, mm -hmm but almost from a mobility of a mice protocol, yeah. MCE, right. not without the elevation, right, right? Right, right. but with movement and compression, I'm creating spinal compression in a non-sensitized direction, right. which allows me to create more movement, which allows a stiff guarded lower back to actually move right. and keep mobility and more movement from happening. So in that case, I use it a lot in, in, in that regard. Right, so, so that's what I'll also say is, is I've, taken it and turned it into my own version, which it sounds like we're kind of, again, on the same yes. page, which is great. But basically, yeah, if, if, if I, and people will, will connect with me online and say, hey, I have back pain, what do I do? I'll say, cool, try this, and I'll send them a video. Basically, go down and touch your toes, and, and again, they taught this in the course, does it make it same, better, or worse? Yeah. And then lean back, does that make it same, better, or worse? And then anywhere it's same or better, let's do more of that. Anywhere it's worse, let's avoid that for now until we're, we're desensitizing and again changing a little bit of the, the the way the brain operates so again the brain sees threat and and pain uh is that signal of threat of like hey i don't like this so again for some people i just had a client right now uh, a day ago that you know when she goes down that was painful so so we have to go back more and that was that was pleasant um and it was making the pain better so it was just like okay do that throughout the day where it, again mckenzie and they have a ten dollar book i think it's treat your own back or whatever yeah. it's called and, yeah. and it's ten dollars and it explains this very clearly. So um, again, it's it's I, it's an interesting concept. Uh, I think it has its place. So that's where I definitely wanted to hear your your take on that. Awesome. Yeah, and what I found too is uh, the traditional press up. Yes. Right, because you're supposed to be more upper body dominant, where you're not using your spinal extensors to lift you up as much, and try to make it more passive, if you will. Meaning you're not like doing like a Superman lift, which right. creates a lot of spinal compression. I find that people, especially when they're in acute pain, it's just very hard for them mm -hmm. to do that. So reverse engineering that starting on a quadruped position. So starting on your hands and knees, shifting forward and then letting your hips drop. So hip drops right, and right. press up. Yeah. And that seems to work a lot uh, more effectively for people that are definitely more sensitized. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier to kind of get into a flow, liking the concept of more movement rather than like sitting down and holding is doing more like a pumping action where you're right. going in and out, in and out. And like you were doing the standing extension, right. I call that the nine year old man at the gym. <laughs> yeah. You see the nine year old at the gym and he's like, uh, he knows yeah. what's up. He's just loosening up. So yeah. for a lot of us, we have this, this what people assume to be chronic lower back pain it's just tension. It's, it's your body's way of saying you're, you're not moving enough. We're right. avoiding certain positions. And with that, you know, even though we might be flexion intolerant, that's, that's the finicky part about lower back pain is like mm -hmm. how and when you start introducing flexion right. for someone that was so sensitized or if they did have a confirmed disc bulge, if they did have hard neurological signs, because mm -hmm. you have to reintegrate flexion. And that's, that's, a, that's the hardest part. That's yeah. the hardest part. Yeah, and I mean, even when I took that course back in 2008 or 9 or whenever that was, uh, I was I, what was going on in my brain is this motion is lotion concept. So we're, yeah. they're, they're teaching and using this, uh, they call it a, a mechanical diagnostic uh, treatment. So again, you're looking which direction, okay, you're flexion intolerant or extension. So I was like, why don't we just, if we don't have symptoms, we're, we're, we're kind of missing that boat of prevention. And again, prevention isn't sexy. If you're watching this and you don't have pain or you have some aches and pains, I would encourage you to make sure you're moving your spine. And this is where CrossFit as a general concept. And again, the kettlebells also, um, different modalities like that are in fact moving your spine in through these different concepts. And, and, we're, and spine, as we know, uh, discs respond best to motion. And, and again, we, I always analogize it to uh, kind of the jelly donut thing. But, but also, again, when we wake up in the morning, right, we're actually taller because our discs are allowing to, to get more nutrition and they're, they're, they're overnight, they're building back up. By the end of the day, we shrink a little because of the compression of the day. 
So again, these concepts, when, when I learned them back in school and, and through these continuing education courses, uh, say, why don't we just move discs in a controlled manner and make sure there's this exposure constantly? And just like we were talking about the CrossFit has these 17 motions, but it's missing these other 10. That's, that's the same concept to me of like, we need to look at a human and say, hey, what are you doing? Uh, and again, you kind of alluded to the fact, yeah, a lot of people are just sitting a lot and they're not doing a lot of extension. And that's the most common, like really easy, easy, you know, again, uh, oversimplifying, like we're just stuck in this position and we're not going into extension. The same thing happens at the shoulder or the knee of, of going really deep flexion. Like you're talking about in the mechanism of injury, like maybe your body just wasn't ready. You know, you just hadn't trained enough at that deep range of motion with a little bit of a torque or you weren't able to control that torque. Obviously. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was 100% my fault. Like, right. I knew when it happened. Right. Uh, what it was, which, which I'm, I'm interested. Have you heard of, uh, I mean, obviously a guy that's been blown up on the internet, knees over toes. Yeah, knees over toes, guys, sure. So I've been, I've been uh, tinkering around with some of their programs and just seeing, obviously, like, and that's what's crazy is, like, a lot of their split squat, deep knee flexion right. things, like, I can do that, yeah. but from a compression standpoint, one vertically, uh, obviously <laughs> changes it, but um, it's, it's, it's loading tissue, it's loading tendons, it, it's compression, yeah. and it's the... It's the novelty right. that we don't do enough of. Yeah. That's what's... And yeah, a lot. For those not familiar, it's a lot of it's knees over toes. So we do that when we're walking up or down stairs, right? Um, but I'm doing it now for anyone watching. But it's also, you know, if you watch their videos, uh, it's, it's standing and, like, trying to touch your toes or knees as far into, like, you see guys touching the pool in front of them, right? And they're able to touch the water and come back and have that control through the toes, through the knees, these, and these novel approaches. The other big one is walking backwards with a sled which I, I have been doing for a long time and I think is a huge component of strength and conditioning that gets overlooked because it's like, oh, this is boring. But it is that, like, we don't, our bodies just don't do this. It's not loading the body the right way. So that's where, again, this strength and conditioning concept, we can certainly nerd out on it and go down that path. But, yeah, the knees over toes concept is very novel, and that's where it's like nobody's doing this. And that's where they've kind of blown up, I think, and, and shown. And I don't, I don't think that everything in there works for everybody. Oh, uh, sure. And, again, I've, I've had clients come to me virtually – that said, hey, I tried this one in Australia recently that had all sorts of knee stuff going on, and she tried the knees over toes program, and I do think it was a little bit too generic almost, um, where it made her worse. Because, and you know, in terms of customer service, at least her complaint, and, and you know, I don't have a ton, I don't know if you've actually had other people who bought into their program and, and coaching and things like that, but uh, that was that was the one main experience I had with that. Well, and there's obviously, there's obviously a ton of benefits to just having the one-on-one, -on -one, right? Like, to have someone to say, like, hey, the way you're doing this, like, in this application, right? Like uh, Dan John always says, squats aren't bad. It's how you're doing squats. Yeah, are there are no bad exercises, really. Uh, we can probably throw a few in there. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Rosin just missed that. I'm going to repeat. Uh, walking backwards with a sled. So you have the sled in front of you, and you're pulling it as you're walking backwards. But walking backwards in general, uphill, changing the stimulus. Uh, if you have a treadmill, set it to 10% incline and just walk backwards at a steady speed. Uh, anything like that, again, it's just that novelty of things that we no, don't normally do. Something I discovered, again, back when I was in physical therapy school is there are retro marathons. So you run the whole thing backwards. <laughs> That's right. um, and it doesn't have to be 26.2 miles per se, but just running backwards a ton um, is, is, is something that, again, it's just that novel approach where, again, for anyone who runs and does one, or again, Peloton is something I love thinking on because it's just so like one single thing and you're in this really bad position. Um, so, and, and so like, where's the cross training? That's a simple concept. That's where CrossFit came from. It's cross training. It's cross, uh, contamination, if you want to call it that, but it's changing the stimulus on your body and saying, can we mix up the modality and the things that we're doing to our bodies to maybe get a better fitness to decrease injury? And that sounds like, again, all, a lot of these, uh, topics that we're, we're bouncing around here. And I think with anything, right, it comes down to just, I mean, and, and it comes down to what you enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if it's just very single track, we need some diversification. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, just biking is not a very ergonomically friendly position right. that we were meant to be in. Uh, but it's one of those things like, you know, when we're working with someone and they're just like, I love doing Peloton, great. Do Peloton, hit it just, hard. Just add in this extra, you exactly. know. Yeah, again, when somebody's a, a vegan, I'll, I'll, I'll jump over to that nutrition side. We didn't even touch on that. I'd love to dive into that maybe another time. But uh, And they're just eating this one type of food, but you're so deficient in these other vitamins and minerals. And maybe we need to do the blood work to show them, yeah. hey, you're not getting iron. You know, And, and again, any vegetarian uh, knows they need B12 and folate and all these different things that are just not common in that diet. And again, I'm not saying don't be a vegetarian. 
but make sure you're, you're filling in those gaps um, at least and be aware of what it is. So again, Peloton, you're just not doing these things to your joints that need to get done. So again, if you're stuck this, you know, in this, in this uh, rounded forward shoulder position, we need to make sure we're moving that through a full range of motion again, not to pick on your injury, but you know, it, it, it's something that it's hard to know when that's going to happen short of doing a very thorough and, and, and uh, deep approach. But again, in terms of deep knee flexion under load, uh, with, you know, whether it's speed or whatever, like all those different concepts. Yeah. I'm sure we could have done a very, you know, methodical way to build up your pistol spot, um, which is possible, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tough to know how much we need to build that up before that injury happens. Well, and to give a little bit more framework and context, right? I have tight hips. My hips are very tight, whether it be the sports that I played, which was a lot of basketball and soccer, which tends to just be tighter in those mm -hmm. athletes. Um, I was, uh, uh, weeks that preceded the event, mm -hmm. um, I just, for whatever reason, Saturday morning, I'm going to hit a, I don't, I don't do yoga ever. It was like <laughs> a deep hip series yoga right. stretch. And it was actually some deep, um, uh, a lot of deep pigeon Ooh. that, uh, in the context of that little bit of flexion and torque, my medial meniscus and medial inner knee was actually quite sensitive after that. Mm. And it was fine. I was able to run and do everything else. Right. And then in doing that, I think that kind of just precipitated some irritation. Right. And then basically I was just going ass to grass, doing deep squats, mobility. I would shift to one leg and then I would pop right, up. Right, right. And the right side is the deficient strength side, as we talked yep. about before. Left leg just being more dominant from a plant standpoint of soccer. Mm -hmm. Right, just not having that also acuity standpoint. And uh, I've done pistols before. Can uh, Just based on my limb length, too, pistols are quite challenging right. for me. Uh, and it, and I, I mean, like I shouldn't have been doing it because <laughs> like the, the left one was a struggle, the right. right one came up halfway. Right. So it's basically like someone who's trying to do a one rep max mm -hmm. where that last rep was a struggle and they barely got it up. Right. I got one more. I got one yeah. more. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Ego over, uh, intelligence or whatever. And for this, or, it, yeah. it wasn't even ego. It was just sheer curiosity. Uh, yeah. Like, can I do it? And this was, and that just happened. But, yeah. but it shows cause the, the, the the, based on my strength levels mm -hmm. and based on the requirement of strength that that movement has, yeah. I was not strong enough. Right. And that's just what it broke down to. Right. And that's where, again, having, and, and, and so I don't, do, do you have someone else coaching you or are you just kind of doing your own thing? Oh, no, I'm just doing my own thing. Yeah. So, I can't so, even sit, hardly stick to my own program. <laughs> so, yeah, even, even like I've had a coach for a long time uh, to, to tell me what workouts to do and things like that. So every, every coach needs a coach as well. Yeah. Um, that's our kind of maybe lesson from that whole thing of, of saying, um, you know, a, and, and as, as educated as this guy is, uh, you know, he, he, it's, it's a, a phrase I've used a long time is, is listen to the whispers before they become yells. And he kind of heard the whispers and, and not that he ignored it, but he almost leaned into it and said, what's that? What's that? Oh, okay. Let me test it. And, and then that led to that. And then the other big takeaway for anyone listening or watching is, is, uh, injury only occurs when load exceeds capacity. Right. Yeah. So he was again with the pigeon, with the things he started, started to kind of probably push on the capacity of that tissue in the medial meniscus, as he was re referring to, um, and kind of, again, you know, he's like, let, let me test it a little bit more and let me see what it can do. Um, and unfortunately, that load that he put on with the pistol squat, the single leg squat exceeded the capacity of what that tissue had. Um, and, and, and that's where, again, coming back to, like you said, that has less strength, that has less things going for it. So that's where we can start to, again, create this profile through an assessment uh, which again, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug myself here, and whether you're you're doing that virtually here, I can uh, send you that right now. If you want to comment below or, or connect with me, uh, it's $199, and it's 21 point assessment, and then we can look at where your movement patterns are, and then start to look at your capacity and give you that report card of what's going on, um, and then we can say, hey, like I don't think you should be doing X Y Z based on what these things are. Let's improve A B C because of X Y Z until we can have the load and capacity in a in a more aligned position based on what you want to do. Again, he's obviously, again, super, super high educated, uh, knows kind of what's going on and took that risk. So if you want to take those risks, cool, but uh, know that there's guys like us who, who can help you with that. Um, and, and so I think that's kind of a primary thing of what, what we're hoping to achieve with putting episodes like this out there. Well, I think, I think the most important thing too was because uh, the, the stretching proceeded weeks before and at the time of the event, I had no pain or irritation at it, right. but it's also just having that uh, mind-body awareness of what whispers actually are, because right. I've never had any injury before, and to be right. honest, like, it was a whisper, but with all my ankle injuries and everything yeah. else, like, 
I know when things are like that's that's something. Right, right. But I think there's also, I mean, unfortunately, like injuries are just obviously our goal is from a prevention standpoint uh, to help prevent injuries by doing the assessments and everything like that. But I also see what happened for me at least, as McGill has within his book, The Gift of Injury. This allows me to restructure things I've been sweeping under the rug right. myself right. for so long. Unfortunately, it came at the cost of this. Yeah. But with modern medicine and everything else. Yeah. Um, It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> You'll learn from it. I mean, the same thing. Uh, that's a great book, Dr. Stuart McGill, Gift of Injury with Brian Shaw. Uh, Brian Carroll. Carroll yeah. Brian Carroll is a big power lifter. Awesome story. Um, and yeah, basically same thing. I had my ACL done uh, right when I graduated from PT school back in 2008. And, and uh, yeah, that taught me a lot <laughs> about, about knees, ACLs. I went down that rabbit hole. I would consider myself an ACL expert for sure, knee expert, based on having gone through uh, my own ACL injury. Uh, yeah. And I think, a, I think a big thing, which some CrossFit gyms are applying and do well at, but when you're, there's, there's the concept of athleticism, mm. right? You play sports. Mm -hmm. I've been in enough CrossFit gyms where I don't think the majority of them create athleticism. You mm. get good at moving in certain right. ways, right. but I think the dynamic nature of actually sports play and things like that mm -hmm. recreational play is is very important and that's something honestly the last few years i have i have lost right and now you create strength mm -hmm. to be able to handle and build up tissue tolerance but just from a neurological standpoint of being able to move and being mm -hmm. able to switch on and off yeah. and do those things um is is a lot is very important that a lot of people end up actually losing and that deteriorates quite fast yeah and and that's again I, I, and i love that concept and I, I, we're coming up on an hour i want to be respectful of your time and, and, and everyone's time but uh, i love that concept and again in terms of the definition of fitness and the 10 general physical skills that they talk about agility's in there yep. um and again it's just hard to do in a class setting for sure and for also sure. without a proper assessment to say we, i have 20 people in my class and let's all do, you know, the T-test or, 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 and I've seen this, uh, the NFL combine, you know, and, and you have people doing as many reps at, at whatever bench press they can and, and doing jumps and things like that, where, yeah, if I have 20 people and I didn't assess them, maybe 10 of them should not even be attempting half of those uh, activities or, 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 or things. But that's where totally the definition of fitness, which is one I love going down that rabbit hole, and I might throw that at you in a second, is, <laughs> um, and the definition of fitness uh, as well as, again, that, that individualized approach and having somebody guide you through. Again, if I had, if, you know, all, all things in, in, in retrospection, whatever. But yeah, if you had told me like, oh, I, I, had, I had this weird knee pain, whatever, and if I was your coach and this is what I do online, I'd be, I'd be like, hey, let's skip that pistol. I probably would have said, let's skip that pistol workout. Let's not, you know, let's, let's you know, but who knows? Who knows? Well, and I never do pistols. Right. This was literally just warm up. <laughs> Even, I'm like, even was, more reason to I not mess it around. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, that, and that's where injuries totally can happen. I'm sure a lot of us watching, listening have random switch. I tore my ACL with picking a plane of game and pick up football and someone dove into my knee. Like that, that stuff happens. Yeah. Um, you know, play, and I played very little football since, um, even though I can, and, and I wanted to make sure I have a skill set to do that. But yeah, contact is right. Pistols are scary. They don't have to be scary though. That's, that's what we're, we're also saying. Regressions. Regressions. Yes. There are ways to build confidence with it. Uh, there's a big truck coming by, so hopefully that's not too loud. Uh, but that's one of my other concepts I talk about real quick is, is uh, again, in that assessment, we're looking at competence. Are you competent in that movement? That's where we can do this virtual screen. And then we go from competence to confidence. And, it, again, you, you kind of had enough confidence to try it. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. then, and then if we, if we have said, uh, and, again, as a, as a coach, and that's where I say, hey, I want us to both have the confidence before we say let's go to that. And then the capacity is that third part for sure. Um, so, so competence, confidence and capacity. And then that, that's the question I want to throw back to you before we wrap up here is how do you define fitness or, or athleticism or, or however we want to go down that path? But fitness is the one word, I guess I'll ask you to define. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's more of just kind of an open, open concept. I think it's honestly, the definition of fitness is what you just described, right? With anything, you need to be able to be competent and then competent and then have the capacity mm -hmm. to do it. And then the application goes to anything, right? Because right? ultimately, fitness comes to generating capacity in multiple different sense. For someone who's an endurance athlete, they're thinking fitness as aerobic capacity. Right. Can I go further? Can I go faster? Can I go longer? Mm -hmm. So on and so forth. Whereas someone who is generating thinking fitness from a weightlifting standpoint, it can my capacity of right. strength like the most weight possible? Exactly. At right. least two or three. 
uh, and loads. Yeah. Exactly. And then for fitness, when you're talking about like uh, like a team sport, just going back to soccer, right? Like you need to be able to run, but yet you also have the strength to be able to fight off a opponent or you know whatever else. So honestly, I think the best definition is what you just described is having that scaled ability to drive those things going forward. Because when you get into new sports and new activities then you generate a new form of competency that you then have to then regenerate and build so it's always dynamic and always kind of ever changing and moving forward hopefully love it we're going to wrap up there uh tell folks where they can find you uh so uh my practice is uh live loud so it's liveloudlife.com um the uh, instagram handle instagram handle is live.loud.life also the two main areas and then uh, YouTube page, you just do Live Loud Life, you should be able to find us. Although, if you do Live Loud Chiropractic, you're going to get on YouTube, you're just going to get all the trashy chiropractors <laughs> that mic people up, and it's just loud chiropractic adjustments. Uh, so I would actually just go to the website and then try to find our YouTube page where we have various videos and whatnot. Thank you, Rosin, for, for watching there. Appreciate you. Hopefully you can catch up soon. And thank you, Dr. Antonio Thank you, Gruel. Gru nope. Go Gule. Like buble ish. Yeah. Not really, yeah. but goulet, that's how I'll remember. Anyway, um, we'll see you guys next time. And hit you up and boom. How do I end this one? I don't know. I'll end there. Sorry for the. <laughs>